The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Wrapping up the first week of the PFT Live hiatus with a Friday edition of PFT OT. Plenty of things still happening in the NFL as we get closer and closer to the low point of the annual news cycle. One thing that we're keeping an eye on, especially because it's Friday and we know the NFL likes to dump bad news into that late Friday afternoon window in the summertime. Deshaun Watson, is today the day that we find out what the league is proposing by way of a suspension? Remember, three-step process. First, the league proposes a suspension. Second, the independent disciplinary officer, retired Judge Sue L. Robinson, decides what the punishment will be. And three, if there is any discipline imposed at all, the commissioner is responsible for handling the appeal. It could go up, it could go down, it could stay the same. But it all begins with the NFL proposing a suspension. And there was reporting yesterday that the league, the union, and Deshaun Watson working on a potential settlement. Some people are like, well, how? How can that be? It happens not infrequently, where you will see an announcement of a suspension and the player, as part of the announcement, says he's not going to exercise his appeal rights. That implies there's been some sort of a negotiated outcome. It is fine. It is fair. It is proper. And it is a way to come up with a final number that works for everyone. The problem is, From the league's perspective, with the sensitivity that justifiably applies to the perception that maybe the league doesn't go far enough, if you negotiate a final suspension of, say, six games, knowing that it's the product of a back and forth that acknowledges the risks and the pros and the cons and the possibility that Judge Robinson will strike down whatever the NFL tries to do, You still have to sell that to the public. And it still comes off as the punishment imposed by the league, even if it is negotiated. And I wonder if there'll be greater transparency this time around than we usually see if there is a negotiated outcome. So the league can say, we wanted to do more, but there were reasons to negotiate something to a more acceptable level for everyone so we could move past this. And remember, one of the big pieces of leverage the union has here the expressed intention, as reported by us and the Washington Post, to argue that any punishment imposed on Deshaun Watson must be proportional to punishment imposed on multiple owners because the conduct policy says higher standard for owners, Daniel Snyder, Robert Kraft, Jerry Jones. That gives the NFL motivation to avoid this possibility of having the union delve into all sorts of facts and circumstances that the league would just as soon prefer to keep concealed, starting with the commander's investigation that the league has managed for nearly a year now to keep concealed. So bottom line, barring a settlement, the NFL will be proposing a suspension and beginning the process. Will it be today? Will it be sometime in the next week? I can't imagine it being any later than next Friday. If the goal truly is to get this done, 
by the start of training camp and you've got these three steps you have to work through, anything after 4th of July, you're not going to have time to get it resolved by the start of camp. And then it becomes a challenge to get it resolved by the start of the regular season. While we've been focused on Deshaun Watson, there's another high profile player who is facing a suspension who doesn't get mentioned nearly as much as maybe he should. Again, it's because I believe of the ultra focus on the Watson case and for good reason, 24 lawsuits, real questions about how much discipline will be imposed, allegations seemingly every day, developments at least every day into Sean Watson. But Alvin Kamara, who was involved in an incident in conjunction with the Pro Bowl in Las Vegas, arrested at the Pro Bowl after he was questioned by authorities, surveillance video apparently potentially in play, felony charges pending against Kamara for battery causing substantial bodily harm, those felony charges still pending. And if you look at the personal conduct policy, a felony charge often provides the basis for paid leave. Unresolved felony charges we get toward an August 25 hearing in Kamara's case. Does he plead guilty and then walk into a potential, if not inevitable, unpaid suspension under the personal conduct policy. We reported last night that Kamara and his camp are bracing for a six game or more suspension. And that's really not earth shattering, folks. If you look at the personal conduct policy, the baseline punishment for a battery conviction or guilty plea or no contest plea of the felony variety is six games. And there can be aggravating circumstances, including repeated blows, which apparently were were part of this interaction between Alvin Kamara and the alleged victim. So this really isn't cutting edge Pulitzer Prize stuff. It's fairly obvious. And the truth is Kamara's camp is indeed bracing for a six game suspension or more. And I know, I know Alvin, I like Alvin. We've interviewed him in the past. He, he had a reaction on Twitter. It's like, you are facing felony charges for battery causing substantial bodily harm. This really isn't some hot take that's pulled out of the air. There is a problem that needs to be dealt with in the criminal justice system before the court of Roger Goodell. And I'm told, and this isn't a surprise either, a civil lawsuit is coming on behalf of the individual who was injured during this alleged attack with the lower standard, as we well know from the Deshaun Watson case and other cases. So Alvin Kamara's got a problem. The Saints have a problem. Will he be put on paid leave at the start of the season or will he be facing an unpaid suspension when the season begins? I guess there's a chance the league just decides not to put him on paid leave while the criminal process goes forward. And typically the league likes to defer to the full criminal process before taking action. But again, this is one that really hasn't been noticed the way that it should because the Deshaun Watson case continues to take up all the oxygen as it relates to the conversation and debate about NFL crime and punishment. Tyree Kill has a podcast, if you haven't heard. Episode one dropped a couple of weeks ago. It needed to be said is the name of the podcast. Well, episode two, which was about half the length of episode one, consisted almost exclusively, if not entirely exclusively, of reaction to the reaction to episode one. Now, look, I really don't think it's sustainable if each episode is going to consist of reaction to the reaction to the prior episode. 
And there was no new ground plowed in episode two. I mean, at one point, Tyreek talked about the differences between his relationship with John Dorsey, who was the GM of the team when he was drafted, and Brett Veach, who was the GM when he was traded. But that's not going to make any big waves. The, the biggest stir was caused by Tyreek Hill saying he got death threats via social media. And I love it, he said. See, he wants to have the reaction. That's why, that's why they do it. That's why we do it from time to time. Look, we try to be very organic and authentic and not try to contrive anything. But when we have a real opinion or real information that we know is going to cause a stir. This is ultimately a business. You want people to pay attention to the things you say. That's why you're here. You got to distinguish yourself from all the other voices out there so people will devote some of their time and attention to what you're saying. And you have to accept the fact that sometimes you may say things that people will react to in a way that you don't like. And when that happens, you just have to deal with it. And if you're going to go on a podcast, the first episode of a brand new podcast, and say something as outlandish as Tua Tonga-Vailoa throws the football more accurately than Patrick Mahomes, already one of the all-time greats at the quarterback position, you're going to have a reaction. And you'll want the reaction, but you also want to reserve the right to complain about the reaction. And that's what happened in episode two of It Needed to Be Said. And I wrote about this yesterday. And this is one of the things that I'm willing to say on this platform and take whatever reaction may come from it. Co-host Julius Collins knows exactly how to press the buttons on Tyreek Hill to get him to say things that will cause a stir. And then it's like, whoa, 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 we're, we're not taking any shots here. The shot's already been taken by the time they try to put the toothpaste back in the tube. It's just kind of comical because for those of us who create content and understand how it works, you see it and you know. Number one, this isn't sustainable. And number two, I really don't think it's in the best interest of Tyreek Hill. He's trying to build a, a new image and reputation. He's with a new team. And all he's managing to do, frankly, and, and, and I'm not being a hater. I'm not saying shut up and play when I express my opinion. What he's doing is he's putting more pressure on the Dolphins to get him the football as often as he wants it, or otherwise they're going to have a problem because we now know the Chiefs had a problem, even though Tyreek Hill didn't do anything about it publicly. If he gets three catches in a game at any point in 2022, we now know to ask, reporters covering the team know to ask, you okay, Tyreek? You, you, you happy with your, your output today? You think they should be using you more? We, we now know that. He's flagged it as an issue. Let's put more pressure onto a Tonga Bailoa to throw the football more accurately than Patrick Mahomes does. And there's more pressure on Mike McDaniel, the coach of the team, to design the plays to showcase Tyree Kill. So that's my opinion. I'm entitled to express it. And I'm not being a hater. And I'm not saying shut up and play. Look, I like it. I like content. I like to have things in late June to react to and talk about. But I really do believe, and this is my opinion, that it's not in Tyree Kill's interest to continue this podcast if it's just going to be saying something outlandish one episode and then the next episode, complaining about the way people reacted to what you said the last episode, when you know damn well how they're going to react. It's not a good idea. Although, as the owner and operator of a media outlet that covers the NFL, I appreciate it, and I hope it continues. At one point, it felt like the Debo Samuel controversy was going to continue throughout the entire offseason. It was full boil until the draft came and went. After the draft, it died down. After the draft, Debo Samuel started following the 49ers again on social media. Look, I think this was very simple. 
Debo and his agent tried to finagle a trade pre-draft. It just didn't work. So now love the one you're with. And George Kittle, who is currently conducting the tight end university, I think today, Friday the 24th is the last day of it. He was appearing on 95.7 The Game in San Francisco for a little interview there. And he said he expects some news in the next three weeks that Debo is going to have a new contract. So for the guy who was done with the 49ers, it looks like he's going to sign up and be a member of the 49ers for years to come. And that's good for him. It's time for him to get his generational wealth. It's time for him to be paid what he deserves. And it's smart for the 49ers to keep him around. We see this trend now with receivers where you find a great one. You have to decide, am I going to pay him or am I going to move on and get what I can via trade with another team? And as it turned out, if there were trade talks, well, and we know there were, we know the Jets reportedly made an offer that just wasn't good enough. And I think the 49ers have acknowledged they didn't get anything nearly good enough. And on top of that, you have to give the player the kind of offer that he would accept. That leads us into our questions. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. On this Friday, PFTOT, Neil watches PFT, and Neil asks questions on PFTOT. And this dovetails exactly with what we were just discussing with the receiver market as crazy as it is. Could a team who is really good at scouting and developing receivers like the Steelers begin overdrafting at the position and trading away veterans to get a return on investment on their picks? Look, I... I don't see the Steelers doing things any differently than they do them. They're always looking for receivers in the mid to late rounds. And, and then they'll, they'll deal with a glut if they have a glut. And right now they've got Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool. Deontay Johnson is due for a new contract or free agency next year or franchise tag. Chase Claypool is one year behind. It really reminds me of the situation they dealt with with Mike Wallace and Antonio Brown a decade ago. They tried to do a deal with Mike Wallace. Mike Wallace didn't want what they were offering. They gave it to Antonio Brown and Wallace left via free agency. And then the Steelers have that departure count toward potential compensatory draft picks. The other alternative is to trade one of these guys. And I said at one point in the offseason, after Devontae Adams was traded from the Packers to the Raiders, Packers should trade for Chase Claypool. We, we, 
we heard Chase Claypool say this week that he knows he's a top three receiver in the NFL. And a lot of people scoffed at that. I think in the right offense, he could be a top three receiver in the NFL where you have a quarterback who can take advantage of his ability to get open down the field. He's got a lot of Randy Moss qualities. We just haven't seen him showcased yet. And he's got a ton of confidence, obviously, and most great receivers do. But it could be that Johnson gets paid and Claypool gets traded and they continue to backfill with the young receivers that they have such a great knack for drafting. But that's the, the tension fundamentally for every team with a great young receiver. Do we go back to the well and draft and hope we can get somebody as good, if not better, and then trade this guy or do we pay him? It's going to be a tough decision for a lot of teams as the market continues to go up and up and up. Another one from Neil Watch's PFT, it seems like the Chiefs and the Packers are the teams that want draft picks to develop talent instead of the Raiders and the Rams who trade for talent. Will Patrick Mahomes eventually become disenchanted with that approach the same way Aaron Rodgers has? Well, look, you have to put a great team around a guy, and I'm sure they got Patrick Mahomes on board with the idea of trading Tyree Kill and getting more assets for him, understanding that Mahomes is going to be the quarterback of the Chiefs far longer than Tyree Kill is playing for the team, far longer than Travis Kelsey is playing for the team, that there will be a revolving door of supporting characters that will come in and help Patrick Mahomes flourish year in and year out. You've got to do a good job of drafting and developing, though. The Packers have been obsessive about drafting and developing. The Chiefs this year went out and signed Marquez Valdez-Scantling, a free agent from the Packers, and Juju Smith-Schuster, a free agent from the Steelers. So they're more willing to go out and try to get veteran talent. But yeah, that's the challenge. If you're not going to pay the guys who develop as stars, can you replace them? Does it make sense to replace them or pay them? And one of the reasons we've seen so much activity with receivers being traded this year is you've got some teams that are willing to say F them picks and other teams that are willing to say, we'll take those picks. The Chiefs were thrilled to avoid the obligation to pay Tyreek Hill to pick up five draft picks in return. And as we learned... And as previously mentioned from episode one of It Needed to Be Said, there were issues percolating between Tyree Kill and the Chiefs, maybe more than percolating. Maybe it was reaching full boil and they managed to keep it under wraps. But that that burden of having a guy who's not happy with how often he's getting the football, that can knock your team off balance, too. So the Chiefs were happy to trade him. The Dolphins were happy to trade for him. The Titans were happy to trade A.J. Brown. The Eagles were happy to trade for him. The Packers were happy to trade Devontae Adams. The Raiders were happy to trade for him. That is the two sides that you need in order to make these deals happen, and I, I expect they're going to continue. Neil watches PFT again. Do you think some of the owners are in bed with some of the Congress people, Representative Fox and Representative Comer, seem to want to let everything slide and move on. I assume that's a question arising from Wednesday's hearing. And I don't know that, I, look, I, I'm, I'm not, we've, we've got kind of this knee-jerk reaction now that anybody who says something must be getting paid or must be in bed with whoever benefits from it. I just think this is more a reflection of the fundamental ideology. It's the Republican Congress people that want to, ignore these issues, frankly, and, and not investigate big business, not investigate wealthy individuals, because the way it works, and, and this is not statement of political opinion. This is statement of political dynamic. 
The rich and the powerful business interests tend to be Republican and aligned with Republican members of Congress. And on the other side, the Democratic side, it's more about the average common person. That's just the way it is. So I, I'm not, I've never considered, oh, somebody's on the take here. No, it's just, that's just the way it is. That's the ideology. That's the mindset. And it does benefit the NFL at times. It also hurts the NFL when Jim Jordan swoops in and starts pressing Roger Goodell on Jack Del Rio's fine. So the NFL can be caught in, in the middle at times, but most of the owners are of the conservative political mindset in large part because they don't like paying taxes. And the more money you have, the more taxes you pay, you become more inclined to align with conservative political ideology, which favors reducing taxes. And yes, plenty of people, especially wealthy people, vote with their wallets. And it's amazing to me, frankly, how many people who don't have a lot of money don't vote with their financial interests and get caught up in social and cultural issues that cloud their thinking as to what it means to them financially to align with one party over another. Another one from Neil Watch's PFT. Snyder has been the biggest headline in the NFL mishandlings lately, but is there any update on either the Flores lawsuit or the paper loss allegations? Well, the Brian Flores lawsuit will be caught up in this threshold question of whether or not it goes to the NFL's secret rigged kangaroo court. Motion was filed earlier this week to put the entire lawsuit in arbitration, not outside arbitration, but arbitration conducted by the National Football League. So that goes forward. As to the Ross allegation of offering Brian Flores $100,000 per game to lose in 2019 in order to enhance draft position, there's something in the paperwork filed by the NFL that hints at what the NFL may be trying to do there. No updates yet. The investigation continues, conducted by Mary Jo White, who's gotten enough NFL work recently to cause me to opine. I'm not stating this as fact, but I believe it's my opinion that one of the reasons she keeps getting work from the NFL is she keeps telling the NFL what it wants to hear. So whatever the NFL wants the Stephen Ross outcome to be, chances are that's what the NFL is going to get. And even though I thought early on, after talking to some people in the know, that maybe Ross was in trouble, I think all of the dynamics taken together suggest that they're going to find a way to maybe tell us he was joking. He didn't really mean it. There's no credible evidence that there was a real offer made. It was never reduced to writing and signed by Stephen Ross or some BS like that if it comes to it. One more from Neil Watch's PFT before we move on. Is there any movement on a Kyler Murray deal? Would Kyler hold out of training camp without one? No word yet. I fully expect them to get something done before the start of training camp. But the question does then become, will he show up? Maybe we'll see a short holdout, but that would just be to, to get the final deal done. I think that just like with Debo Samuel, effort to plant a flag on a potential trade before the draft. And I think once it didn't happen, I, I think that, that maybe Kyler Murray got a little dose of self-awareness, recognizing that there isn't going to be a long list of teams that line up to get him. I mean, the Broncos went for Russell Wilson. They didn't try to trade for Kyler Murray. They could have tried to trade for Kyler Murray. I don't think anybody really tried to trade for Kyler Murray. I think Murray just needs to do the best deal he can with the Arizona Cardinals and move on with his career, recognizing he's not going to get top of the market, but maybe trying to get toward where the top tier currently is, understanding that the top tier is going to continue to go north. Our good friend Pauline from the UK, London game premium tickets on sale this week. Are you coming to see your Vikings? Folks, 
we can't, we work on Sundays. We have to be in studio or, or in my home studio connected directly to Stamford, Connecticut for Football Night in America. Those games are played in London. They're not played at night, Eastern time. They're played in the afternoon, London time. So NBC doesn't have one of those games and never will have one of those games. So I'd love to come. It's going to have to be in the off season at some point. I'm going to put getting a passport back on my list of things to do so Sims and I can come over there at some point and visit with. And it really is amazing to me how many loyal and rabid fans we have in the UK of PFT Live and increasingly of what we do at profootballtalk.com. And look, I mean, this is a compliment. I feel like the fans in the UK are more passionate about what we do because they are more adept at seeing through the BS and they're not willing to just shake pom-poms and say everything is awesome, which plenty of media, frankly, who cover the NFL in the US tend to do, pandering to the powers that be, dumbing it all down for the purposes of a mass audience that doesn't want to know what's really going on and that happily is hypnotized by the glitz and the glitter and the glamour, the folks in the UK, they, they like it when the BS gets called because they're wired that way. So I don't know, maybe I do need to move there after all. Uh, our good friend Leapers 500, could Arch Manning, when and if his time comes, be the person who says, I'm not going to be drafted by just anyone I want to choose where I go and destroy the draft. Well, it wouldn't destroy the draft. He would just be the once every generation or so aberration who stands up and says, I'm not signing a contract with the team that takes me with the first overall pick. Now, he's got a long way to go before he's the first overall pick, obviously. He just made a verbal commitment to the University of Texas. He's not even in college yet. What kind of a player is he going to be? Will he be good enough to be regarded as a potential number one overall pick? But if he is, we know his uncle Eli did it under the cover that was provided by his father, Archie. Maybe, maybe grandpa will do it again. Or, or dad will do it again and be the one to say he doesn't want to play for whichever team it is that holds the first pick that year. And this is explained in Playmakers. If you haven't gotten it yet, what are you waiting for? What are we waiting for? Uh, uh, but Eli Manning had a visit to the Chargers in the 24, not 24, but 2004 pre-draft process. And he, he sensed the dysfunction that prevailed in the organization at the time. GM A.J. Smith, Coach Marty Schottenheimer, they didn't like each other. They didn't agree on how to manage the team, how to run the team, how to build the team. And Eli felt like there wasn't clarity, there wasn't unanimity on whether or not they even wanted him. So he didn't want to go there. Why be thrust into that situation? If the GM wants me, but the coach doesn't. Remember, they had Drew Brees at the time. They drafted Eli Manning, and then traded for Philip Rivers. But maybe Marty Schottenheimer wanted to ride with Drew Brees. Why does Eli want to be the part of that if he's got an option to go somewhere else? And he did. So I could, look, I'm a firm believer that anyone who has the leverage, who isn't happy with the team that is sufficiently bad to earn the first overall pick, that I don't want to go be part of that team, I'm a firm believer you should make your power play. The problem is the fans get all mad and indignant you wouldn't get mad and indignant if it was your son, your brother, your cousin, your nephew, your friend, your client, whoever. But they, they get mad at anybody who upsets the apple cart. We got to respect the draft. It's an honor and a privilege. So I, I think there should be somebody every year who's willing to do it. 
the guy who is regarded as the top prospect. And if in a given year, the team that holds that first overall pick really isn't attractive to the kid who's destined to be the first overall pick, I say go for it. But we know that the Manning family has been willing to do it and it worked out well for Eli. So I wouldn't rule it out for Arch. Carl has a question also about Arch Manning with his NIL value projected to be several million per year. We may soon see, or may we, we soon may see top tier college quarterbacks pulling in three to 5 million in NIL money where top guys may soon make more per year from NIL than what first round picks take. Does the NFL need to network or rework, excuse me, rework. My eyes aren't very good today. Rework the rookie wage scale. No, look, I think the NFL kind of likes the idea that guys will stay in school a little bit longer that placates the football coaches at the college level because again college football is the nfl's free farm system stay in school the nfl always pushes that stay in school stay in school stay in school so if you stay in school and get paid fine then you make the jump to the nfl the nfl still pays what it pays and if you're making big money nil as a college player then you're probably going to make big marketing money when you come to the National Football League. So I don't see anything changing in that regard. And I think the NFL likes the fact that the ability of players to make money from their name, image, and likeness at the college level will indeed cause them to maybe stick around school a little bit longer. Uh, okay. Jake McCain wants me to post a link on Twitter when it's up. Having a hard time finding these on the site. I, I will indeed post today's show up there. I've got, I've got to run, so we're going to wrap this up here pretty quickly. Tom Marshall, A Red Zone UK. Will we see Gronk back playing before or after Thanksgiving? That's a great question. Look, I really do think money is at the core of this decision by Gronk to retire. I think he doesn't want to play for eight, nine, 10 million. I think he should at least get 15 million, given what receivers are now making. And I think he probably thinks that and he knows he can't say it. I know I said that earlier this week, still believe it now. Nothing's changed over the last couple of days. I will say after Thanksgiving, put me down for after Thanksgiving. And because he's a free agent, there's no deadline on when he needs to return. He can sign with anyone at any time. Everett M., who will have fewer excuses if they perform poorly, Tua or Zach Wilson? I think it's definitely Tua. I think it's no excuses for Tua. With Zach Wilson, it's still too soon to really put the pressure on him and say, maybe he's not going to be the guy. He gets at least another year. For Tua, this is it. Up or out. And the Dolphins, if Tua doesn't get it done this year, will be the most attractive destination for a veteran quarterback who is looking around for places to play next year, starting with Tom Brady, maybe continuing with Lamar Jackson and whoever else may be thinking about a new team for 2023 because they already have all the pieces in place. The biggest question mark is what Tua is going to do. At Burn Unit, what's your guess on how much Deshaun Watson has spent on legal fees for a high-profile lawyer like Rusty Harden? I was asked this yesterday on 95 or 97.5, the game in Houston. And, and I, I don't want to guess at a number, but I would say if I were setting the over-under and as the house hoping to, to make equal bets. So I, I make the VIG and, you know, the house always wins. I'd go 2.95 million is the over under in legal fees so far by Deshaun Watson. Cause I think that would be a number that would get just enough people bet the under and just enough bet the over, but that would be my over under is 2.95 million. Uh, last one. What happened to the, the John Gruden investigation? Well, the lawsuit's still proceeding and 
I checked on this the other day. A final order has not yet been entered by the court denying the NFL's effort to force the case into the NFL's secret rig kangaroo court, a.k.a. arbitration. What will happen is a final order will be entered. The clock will start ticking on appeal rights in Nevada. There are two different levels of appeal. What happens is it goes to the Nevada Supreme Court. It can refer it back to an intermediate level court if it chooses to do that issue plays out there with appeal rights back to the Nevada Supreme Court. Then after that, U.S. Supreme Court, and we have to assume the NFL will push it all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court because it did that with the argument that the St. Louis relocation litigation should go to arbitration. So this thing is going to be bogged down for a while in the question of whether or not John Gruden must go to arbitration. But hey, look, I want it to stay in court. I think it should stay in court. I think it's ridiculous that the NFL hopelessly conflicted is Roger Goodell when he's the one asked to decide these issues involving the teams that pay him or the league that he works for. Hopeless conflict of interest. No way to get a fair shake if you are the John Gruden out there who is looking for justice. So I hope it stays in open court. That way also we get to find out who ordered the code red, who leaked the emails that took out John Gruden. And again, John Gruden got what he deserved. It was untenable for him to continue, but the way that it happened, that can also be wrong. It's possible that both things are true, that Gruden got what he deserved, but he didn't deserve it the way that he got it. So it continues to unfold and I have a feeling it will continue over the coming months and years. We will continue our conversation all weekend long at profootballtalk.com. And on Monday, another edition of PFTOT as PFT Live continues its annual hiatus. We'll see you then. Have a great weekend. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.